Вот бадавы гости еда наши. Welcome to Bread and Salt, a show about my Russian grandmother and my quest to find out about her life and the world that she came from. I am your host, Maria Schumann. I'm a farmer, singer, and folklorist from beautiful Greensboro, Vermont, where together with my husband, we grow organic apples, raise sheep, and whenever possible, observe the changing of the seasons in the old ways. Last month, I introduced you to my grandmother, Maria Ivanovna Dikereva Scott, also known as Masha or Babushka. In my mind, my grandmother simultaneously exists on multiple planes in multiple worlds. In one, she is an old, old woman lying on the couch in my parents' living room. Dochinka, come here. Bring me water. She tells the same stories to me over and over again. Her face is swollen from congestive heart failure, her breathing belabored, her voice raspy. Dochinka. That's an endearing way of saying little daughter. Where is your husband? At that time, I was separated from my partner, and I never had the heart to tell her that we hadn't ever been married, at least not in the eyes of the law. He's in New York, I would say. Dochinka, reconcile, reconcile. A pause. Does he beat you? No. Is he a drunkard? No. Then Dochinka. Reconcile, reconcile. My parents fought like cats and dogs every day, and they stayed together. Reconcile, reconcile. Where is your husband? Does he beat you? And so it would go on. In another plane, my grandmother is as I remember her from my childhood and teenage years. Powerful, domineering, quick to anger, quick to criticize. I was born when she was about 56, close to the age I am now. So when I was 10, she was only in her mid-60s, although of course to me she seemed ancient. My shyness and passivity infuriated her, but it was my way of fighting back against her power. Passive resistance. 
She would make me weed her long gravel, gravel driveway, and I would do it as slowly as I possibly could. When I was very young, I remember her grabbing my hands in a powerful grip and practically dragging me to the grand staircase that led to her bedroom suite. It was guarded on either side by two ceramic elephants who now sit on my porch, not in such a grand setting. She'd take me up the stairs, and there she had an icon corner, a shelf with many icons and maybe also photos of dead relatives. I'm not sure if I'm making that part up, but I don't think I am. She would force my thumb, pointer, and middle finger together, the holy trinity, and lead my hand to make a cross on my body, head, heart, right shoulder, left, once, twice, thrice. Then a sip of holy water and a stale holy cracker. I knew my parents were atheists, and I was sure that it was wrong to be eating holy bread when I didn't believe in it. So sometimes I would hold it in the back of my mouth and spit it out as soon as I got the chance when she wasn't looking. And then in yet another world, in another plane, in another place, my grandmother is a little girl, Mashinka, Mariuchka, Marietchka, Mariushka, dressed in threadbare homemade clothes, barefoot, working long days in the fields with her large family, often hungry. From her memoir, I get the sense that she was fierce and fearless. Once, while watching the family cow, she smoked fake cigarettes made of leaves with her friends and burned a spark into her brand new apron. She was sent to bed with no supper, but her older sister Anya snuck a plate of food to her when no one was looking. Once, when she was watching her baby sister, while her mother worked in the fields, she stopped paying attention and her sister fell out of the window. Baby Katya was okay. The house was just one story. Once, she walked with her sister Shura 40 miles to the nearest big town to look for a job. She was 14 years old. And many, many times, she was out there working alongside her brothers and sisters in the fields for long, long days. And now another version of my grandmother is coming into focus as I read about her life and read her journals. And this is my grandmother in her early 30s. This is a version of my grandmother that I hardly knew anything about until now. I've seen photos of her at that time, and she's drop-dead gorgeous. She looks like a movie star. She just moved to the U.S. She doesn't speak English very well, and she's a young mother of two small children. She's ambitious and bright and homesick for Russia and burning with a desire to learn to expand her world. There are hints of her personality that I remember from my childhood, her sharp anger and moodiness, but they seem really different coming from a young, beautiful woman. She's studying English literature and German language at NYU, and she's not getting very good grades, 
in the Soviet Union, she was top of her class and did really well, but um, her language struggle here in the U.S. is huge. When she's not in New York, she's at Willowbrook, my great-grandmother Nellie's farm in Pennsylvania. She's weeding the garden, sunbathing, hanging out with my mom and my Auntie Lana, who are little kids, hanging out with her in-laws and the neighbors. And she's traveling around the country, giving lectures, sometimes to thousands of people, about her childhood and youth growing up in Soviet Russia, to raise money for war relief and to raise awareness about the Russian Revolution and communism. World War II is happening. She's desperately worried about her family in Russia. One of her sister's husbands has been killed in the war. Her brother is fighting in Leningrad. And the German army is marching through Tver, the province she is from and where her parents and most of her siblings still live. Her husband, my grandfather, Diedushka, John Scott, is a war correspondent in Europe. And he's gone. My grandmother has a lover. He's a Soviet Armenian composer. They have dinners and fancy restaurants. They go to the movies together. One moment she's desperately in love with him. The next moment she's bored of him and can't stand the sight of him. She seems to have no guilt about cheating on my grandfather, but she does sometimes let on that she feels bad when people, especially her father-in-law, say unpleasant things about her. I remember my mother mentioning this boyfriend of Babushka's, but I thought it was a passing thing maybe for a few weeks or a month or two. Nothing real, but in her journal, he's very real. He's what she writes about a lot of the time. And while I haven't had all the journals translated yet, it seems like this relationship with him, his name is Jan Adamian, goes on for years they are passionately in love. Then they break up. He asks her to leave my grandfather and marry him. She never wants to see him again. Then before you know it, they're at a restaurant or he's visiting her at Willowbrook again. And my mother and, my, and, and her sister, my aunt, are there. And my grandfather is nowhere to be seen. In my grandmother's journals, when my grandfather does show up, which isn't that often, he comes across as cold, unfriendly, and unkind, which is certainly not the way I remember him. In family lore, he is a brilliant, sad man who speaks five languages fluently, loves good wine and food, and is a very kind father. My grandmother dominates him, and he travels the world as much to get out from under her lashing tongue as for his work as a time-life correspondent. Oh, 
So my grandmother's journals had been sitting in my parents' basement since my grandmother died in 2004, so just about 20 years. And after my mother died, we started, me and my brothers and sisters started kind of rifling through things down there and found these boxes with her journals, other boxes, many boxes with my grandfather's papers. Um, that's a different story, which I'll tell another day. But um, my grandmother's journals, there's at least two boxes, I think, and they range from, they start in the early 1940s and go to the um, 1970s, I believe. There's some letters in there, and it all looked so fascinating and compelling, except they're all in Russian, of course, and my Russian is baby Russian. I really was not capable of reading or, or, or translating her journals. But then, luckily, I met a young Russian woman who had moved to the area, and um, she started translating. I asked her to translate some, so she started to do that, and then I made another Russian friend who has also been translating for me. And they both say that her journals are fascinating, um, and they say that her language is kind of strange, like she writes in an unusual way, and some of it's maybe because it's a, um, it's old language, you know, it's from the 1940s, and so it's quite different than how people talk in modern Russia today, and even, you know, I've been using, actually, they haven't been translating, they've been transcribing for me in Russian, and then Google has been translating, so the Google translations are a little funny, but there are funny things like she'll start using her, she'll start talking about herself in the third person, then in the first person. I don't know. I can't really tell because it's, um, it's Google Translate. But I didn't mean to talk about my grandmother's personal life in this radio show. I wanted to talk about folklore and history and the agriculture and food and 
tools, agricultural tools. But how can I not talk about her personality and her personal life with her translated journals sitting in front of me on my desk? They're so compelling. And I feel like there's a mystery about my grandmother's life, which is maybe the mystery of anyone's life, really. How did she go from being this little girl to a grandmother, the grandmother that I knew? How did she go from being this like fierce, bold little child to being who she was when I knew her as a teenager and young adult? And how did she go from being so idealistic, from believing so strongly in the good of the Russian Revolution to becoming completely materialistic and ideologically really the opposite of herself as a young woman. And why am I so obsessed with her life? Why do I feel like understanding her life is the key to understanding my own? episode, I am going to just read excerpts from my grandmother's journal from 1941 to 1945, and also some excerpts from a memoir that she wrote in the early 1950s called 10 Years with the Americans. And we found this handwritten memoir in the box of her papers. The translations are awkward, but good enough. And I feel certain that my grandmother would approve that she wanted people to know about her complicated and interesting life. I can almost see the sly and satisfied smile on her face. You see? You thought you knew about me, but I am so much more. my grandmother's journal. New York, June 22nd, 1942. Dear Maria Ivanovna, she's writing to herself, just to make that clear. I've been meaning to write to you for a long time, but I've been very slow with various things and I've been reading a lot. And you know what I've been reading? Jack's book. That's my grandfather's book. 
I find it extraordinarily successful. It gives a lot, and not only to the Americans who know so little about Soviet Russia, but also to us who still have some idea of what has been done there over the past 25 years. I really liked that he gives such a truthful, in my impression, picture. He does not hide the dark sides and yet paints in such a way that no one can remain indifferent to the fate of our distant, beautiful country. I think it's a great success. How do you live, dear Maria Ivanovna? How are the girls? It's hot here and worse, very steamy, but still bearable. For a moment, I thought, where was I in this year, far, far away from here, in my native country, in Russia? It was so much excitement for me this last year. What a big change. Now I'm in a new country with new people. What is expected of me here? I want only to study, to learn from people, from books, from everything that surrounds me. I thirst for knowledge. John would like me only to take care of the children and the house. He thinks I dominate him, but I do not agree with him. None of us dominate. We are free and equal. I want to study, to read, to do the work which I like, to be the ch with the children when I feel like it. I do not like to be a slave of the kitchen, to cook all day, to wash, to iron. I do not mind it to do housework, but only when I feel like it. I want to do the work from which I can learn, I can grow mentally. I know from the kitchen and washing, one cannot go far. Poor John, he does not like everything that I say. <laughs> May 24th, 1944. I'm going to Washington. The train is moving fast. Some localities remind me of a place near Udomlia. And it occurred to me to go to the Soviet consul and tell him about my desire to go home to work to help rebuild the country after the military devastation. I feel my duty to my Soviet country to serve it until the end of my life. I imagined myself for a minute with the consul and tears flowed involuntarily. I don't think I can talk to him without crying. Comrade consul, I came to you to offer my services, to tell you about my boundless desire to remain an honest Soviet citizen for life. And I consider it my duty to tell you about this and that I want to help restore my Soviet country, not in words, but in deeds, who gave me so much as a peasant girl. So I thought to start my conversation. Now I'm crying again. 
I'm sad about my homeland. I see myself in a school with children in Soviet Russia, and it somehow captures my heart. I'm really ready to give every minute to my homeland. That's what I'm thinking about. It's interesting. Every time when I ask John about world events, he always answers, it's too long to explain. But when I talk about the household, cleaning and cooking, then he talks with great interest and tries to prove and convince me that cooking, cleaning, washing is necessarily women's work. All American women do this work without a single question. Today, I am awfully homesick. Is it possible to see you again, my motherland? Rasia, Matyushka. It seems to me you have everything the best. If I had ever known that you would be so dear to me, I would never have left you for a second. Now, my only dream is to see you again, my dear. I would agree, it seems to me, to have a day only a piece of black bread, to live in a cold house, to have one pair of shoes and one pair of dresses without beautiful clothes, which had attracted me so much before, to have nothing, only to feel your breath and to be on your chest, my dearest. May 28th, 1944. I see that I pay little attention to the children. I feel sorry for the Russian language. Everything gets worse, and then in two months, they will completely forget it in the camp. I spent some time with friends. Yesterday, we went to dinner with Dr. Marquette and Jan and talked about everything. We are very familiar with Jan. Ella and Elena love him very much. So Jan is her boyfriend, Ella and Elena is my mother and my aunt. And I am pleased. We had an exceptionally good time with him. We often ask ourselves questions for how long, not for long. We feel too good. I'm tired now. In the evening I wished, and almost all the time I wished, that John would come home sooner since I live too well now and I don't know. During the day I somehow involuntarily remembered Jan. Will it all go well with him? He is like a family to me. 
desired, that it seems to me that I have never known such a feeling. I spoke to him on the phone in the evening. He wanted to come and have dinner with us, but I dissuaded him. He promised to come at 1130, but he's late, and I must admit that makes me very angry. I even think if he will call, then I will not answer. Somehow it became unpleasantly cold for some half an hour. The mood is different. I'm angry and do not want to see him. June 16th, 1944, Friday. I feel great. I got tanned, gained weight, had a rest, finished the book For Whom the Bell Tolls by Ernest Hemingway today. I don't know why there was so much noise with this book. The book is nothing special. The style is too simple. And there's a lot of water on some pages. I had a hard time reading it. Children feel good. They got tanned and gained weight well. I stopped missing Jan, and everything seems like it was a dream. There have been no letters from him for four days. Either he's busy or he thinks I'll be in New York soon. In any case, I'm now in the stage of indifference to him. I was sunbathing in the morning. I weeded in Bob's garden, gave bath to the kids. In the evening, I read a Russian book, made a summary of my speech on Sunday. I feel good. I read Jan's letters. True, they are somehow sweet, although the letters are also rather short. Mashanok, my dear, what will it be? I miss you so much, and you are all away from time to time. And I also suffered for him at the same time. On June 10th at 9 o'clock, I wrote to him, True, Yannick, I love you very much. Interestingly, I notice our feelings are exceptionally well transmitted at a distance, and now it is quiet for four days. It's most likely the quiet before the storm. August 23rd, 1944. I had dinner with Yanni. He was very sad, and apparently he wants to finally break everything now. Even I think he is cold to me. I did not believe that so loving we could disperse. But now I see that this is so. His arguments seem to me extreme and stupid for a person who says that he loves me. He just wants to get married or live openly together in the same apartment. I can't because I have a husband and children. I think if we love each other, we can meet. But it is not necessary to live and marry. I do not agree with such a requirement. And today, for the first time, I felt that I should also put an end to it. I studied in the library, and he came there and handed me this note. Ooh, and here's the note. August 22nd, 1944. Trust me that I love you very much that I will never forget you, but that it's impossible to continue like this. 
I'm going crazy. Well, what are you going to do? I haven't any strength anymore. Forgive me if I disturb you. What I want to say does not fit on paper. All I know is that I love you tightly, strongly, and kiss you. You're Yannick. Someday you will agree with me, but for now, goodbye. I studied, read the story, and there was no time for a note. Then I read it at home, cried bitterly. I looked at his photos, which he left me. He is so sweet, dear. Well, that's it. It's over. There were about 20 children and five local women at the picnic yesterday. They brought everyone a package of cupcakes, and only I made black bread sandwiches in Russian style. Yesterday, we ate perhaps six different varieties of cupcakes. And I noticed that American food is especially characteristic that it is sweet. Even cucumbers were sweet. And Russian food is more and more salty and sour and bitter. That is true, and life is like food. July 21, 1944. In the evening, I had a discussion with Jan. So at the end, I burst into tears. At first, he accused me of political illiteracy. And then he went so far as to say that I was generally illiterate. Of course, I agree with his criticism that I know little and should know more. But I was angry that all the educated people here who I meet here came from Russia during the revolution or fled the revolution. They were educated in childhood by governesses in all the foreign languages. Or they were educated in an old male or female gymnasium, which were accessible only to the wealthy class. And they spent two decades abroad only in chatter, in discussions. And they consider themselves educated by any because they practiced speaking beautifully and learned many foreign languages. And here we are, Soviet intellectuals who came from among peasants and workers whose parents were illiterate. The children themselves who did not receive education from governesses in all foreign languages. They did not practice themselves for years in empty and beautiful chatter, but were engaged in work and combined studies. There are thousands like me. We did not shine with our genius abilities, but we learned something. There are thousands and millions of people like me. Here, people like us seem clumsy, uneducated, and we're the ones who are now fighting so successfully against fascism. It's bitter and insulting to me because these noble intellectuals who say they love Soviet Russia who do everything to help Soviet Russia, look at people who have come out of peasants and workers, 
who really haven't sharpened their minds because they can sharpen the minds of their children. And they seem to them very uninformed and illiterate. That's why it's in my mind that I don't belong here among these beautiful talkers. It drove me to despair and I wept bitterly. I'm so fed up with it all now. I want to run away from it. And I no longer want to hear all these different opinions on the same question, which don't lead to anything real. I got angry and I said, I will never be so simple again and ask everyone about what I don't know and never be frank and I'm too simple. Everything is disgusting to me and I'm so sorry that I left my village. There's no place for me and there's no purpose and interest to live here. Bored, I want to be alone and close my ears to all the chatter. How they bore me. Is it possible to build a peaceful world or is it just utopia? The life of a man is so short comparing with the life of the universe. For our short lives must we only suffer. We have to look for peace, the wealth that we spend for the wars. If we give this wealth for searching for peace, we certainly can find it. Where are our geniuses of the world? Can they do something? Is Marxism, Leninism, utopia? They showed the road toward peace. I have to read them again. Today, I performed during the afternoon lunch at Bridgeport, fundraising for clothes for Russia. The performance went extremely well. The audience warmly and affably received me. On the way back, I thought I would cry my fill because on the way to Bridgeport, I could hardly hold back my tears. But on the way back, I had rather high spirits as many people told me that the performance was very good and that such a performance is quite a big deal for the friendship of Russia and America. Yannick called. We met quite warmly. I told him about my tears, and of course he dispelled all my sadness. My imagination and my suspicions sometimes work too well. with Jean to take our father to Pine Plains. Tomorrow, I think to work a little in the garden, then sew and read for myself and the kids. Dear Mom, if you were here with me, how happy I would be, my dear. 
or any of my sisters or brothers. God, what a joy it would be to sit with you and talk. My God, they say the truth, together, crowded, apart, boring. When we were together, we found reasons for, we found reasons and scandals, and now it's just boring. Oh, how boring without you, my family. When you don't think so, everything is fine, but when you remember it, when you don't think about it, everything is fine. But when you remember, you remember with tears. August 5th, 1945. The day is incredibly beautiful. The blue sky is slightly covered with white clouds, quiet and cool at the same time. Jan arrived three days ago. To be honest, I was not happy about his arrival. He almost invited himself and came for four days. When I think, okay, it's good for him as a city dweller to rest and breathe fresh air. And yet his presence weighs me down. He follows me everywhere on my heels and endlessly declares his love. Sentimental, breeds romanticism, which I'm already tired of and already sick of. Even at times he seems abnormal to me, just like Kostya. And I'm afraid that he would do something. Last night he kept walking, did not sleep, because I was not gentle with him. I want to get rid of him, but I don't know how. March 28, 1942. I sent five postcards to Russia, to my brother in Moscow, to my sister in Magnitogorsk, to my parents, Kalinin, to my friend, Asia Chelybinsk, to my other sister. I hope the postcards will reach them. I don't know when they will get my notes. And I do not know when I will receive news from them. How are they? Are they all alive? Are they all in health? Perhaps many of them are starving. I'm so sorry for them. Especially, I'm very sorry for my mother. She is now old, and her whole life was very hard. Is she still alive? Will I see her? I wish to be like in a fairy story, invisible, and to fly. I would fly home and look at my old mother to show her my affection and sympathy with her. Oh, my mother, dearest, don't be sorry for me. I am really well. It is only a far distance from each other that makes us often feel lonesome. Also, we never know when we will see each other again. How dear are you all to me, my dearest? I often think about my childhood, about your punishments that was at that time. I thought then I will never forget. I did forget everything bad. I remember everything, only the best. <laughs>
August 1st, 1945. It's already midnight. Finished a long, friendly letter to John in English. We received a letter from him today from Berlin where he describes great disturbances everywhere. Dead bodies rot in ruins, broken tanks and guns lie. The Germans run across to the American side. People are starving, falling in the streets from exhaustion. Jan called. He's coming tomorrow. I'm not only indifferent to his visit, but I even think that it would be better if he did not come. As if tired of everything, I sometimes tell him that he is a, on a ban list. It may be strange and stupid, but I said that if he wrote some outstanding symphony, which might have pushed me to the decision to be his wife, <laughs> moreover... Our relationship with John is already upset. It's been about a month since John left, and I got nothing but one note left in a desk in New York. True, he sent two letters from New York addressed to Ella and Elena. Sometimes I want to write him something affectionate to forget all the insults. But maybe it's a good thing that I don't even know his address. That is a suggestion. Although I could just write to the office. Anything is possible, but Ella and Elena are doing well. Tanned, big. I'm so pleased. Looks to me the world is not progressing but regressing. Everywhere is war now. There's no single country which would not participate directly or indirectly in the Second World War. But what happens to us, to the real people who actually carry the burden of the war, who really suffers, who fight to the death, who gives their lives, who suffers from hunger, wounds, from losing their most dearest sons, husbands, daughters, fathers, mothers, who wants all this suffering? Who wants to have the whole wealth of the world? I would like to know, will there ever be a time when there will be no war? Will there ever be a time when the end of the war will be eliminated forever? I would like to know. Чувств 
не для меня. И сердце девичье забьется с востока ураган чувств не для меня. Не для меня светового сады В долине роща расцветает Там сая ловее весну встречает Он и будет петь не для меня Там и Не для меня, не для меня Тякого трочье Журычать алымазными струями Там девой с черными бровями Она растет не для там и дева с черными бровями она ой, растет не для меня, не для меня расцвел и мой сад, распустить роза цвет багряна. Зарвешь цветок, а он зая не такая я жизнь не для меня. Зарвешь цветок, а он зая не такая я жизнь не для меня. Для меня придет паска, За стол родня вся соберется, Христос воскрес, Иисус польется, Паска день не для меня. Христос воскрес, Иисус польется, Пасхаленый день не для меня. А для меня кусок свинеца, Он и в тело белое вопьется. И слезы горькие прольются, судьба я такая ждет меня. И слезы горькие прольются, судьба я такая ждет меня. The songs played in this show were 
um, Stepan Razin's Dream from Songs of Russia, Volume 2. Not For Me, sung by Stepan and Valentina Neskarovoy. Um, the opening theme is Welcome Guests, sung by Kastroma. And the reoccurring song that you heard throughout the show is a Kupala song, which is a traditional Russian summer solstice song, sung here by Yevgeny Bagrintsev. Thank you for joining me on my journey through my grandmother's life. In following weeks, I'll get back to her childhood, Slavic folklore, agriculture, and um, I'm really hoping to talk about weaving and embroidery soon. I share this 9 to 10 o'clock Saturday morning slot with three other wonderful shows, which you should give a listen to. On the third Saturday, we have Kitchen Permaculture with Rebecca Beidler. On the fourth Saturday, The Pollinator Report with Emily Langsner. And on the first Saturday is Gathering Peace with Joseph Gainza. And thanks, as always, to all of you for supporting Community Radio. See you next time. Bye. Oh, <laughs>